This is our disclaimer. The statements made and opinions expressed during this podcast are our own personal statements and opinions and should not be construed as those of any entity or institution that we may have been employed by or affiliated with at any time in our professional lives. Additionally, we take patient confidentiality incredibly seriously. For that reason, any reference to stories about patients have purposely been modified so as to not identify any particular patient or location. Finally, while we are both doctors, nothing that we say in this podcast should be construed as medical advice. If you are in need of medical advice, please contact your personal physician. Remember that although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Thank you. (laughs) What's up, Ed? How you doing? Good, man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to ER Docs and Crucial Talks. I'm Raj. I'm Colin. Good to see you again, man. What's what's new? What's going on? Uh, What is new? Not a whole lot. It's starting to get colder, you know, and uh, it's a it's a good time. I know we've been doing this, uh, you especially, this Movember, you ran 98 miles in a- uh, Movember. In- so so Movember, I, I think I heard about Movember, I don't know, maybe a decade ago. What is it? It's like some. It's like a month, November, you grow a mustache. And it's for like- support of men's health, uh, men's uh, mental health. Men's mental uh, health, yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of the um, one of the Grand Canyon crew, he, uh, he, he I think he does this annually, but- uh, and you, you texted me about a week ago. You're like, Hey man, no, no, three weeks ago. He said, beginning of November, he said, Hey, you've been running a lot. Why don't you try this November challenge? And it was 60 miles in running, walking in uh, November. And I'm like, well, shoot, I've been running all this time. I'm going to, I'm going to run 60 miles. Unfortunately, I had just injured my ankle. I had just sprained my ankle. So I was kind of down and out about it, but did a little home PT, a little home physical therapy. And then I'm back to it. And yeah, man. Just finished 98 miles today. I was trying to do a personal best of 100 miles, but um, just I don't know what it was. I was like two miles away, and I'm I'm thinking, God, wouldn't this be great to just have 100 miles? And just like mentally, I was kind of like, No, I want to go home now. I was like, I'm going to run home now. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but it was cool. Uh, it was, maybe you were leaving it for next year. Maybe yeah, I, a little something on the table. So, um, yeah. but you and you just speaking of uh, endurance challenges, you just got back from Canada not too long ago. You did the ultra, the ultra gold. Is that what it's called? The gold, it's called the golden ultra. It's a, uh, ultra. it's three days of running up and down this mountain in a golden uh, Canada, which is up in the Canadian Rockies. And it was, uh, it was challenging to say the least. And, I will, uh, I will yeah. do a YouTube link. Uh, it's like a two minute thing that you can watch what he did, but what were your big takeaways from doing a three day and challenge it? Probably is this, would you say this is like the most challenging thing physically you've ever done? I think. you. Oh yeah, it. for sure. By Basically far, because right? the second day, the second day especially was, uh, 38 miles, you know, up and down, up, up this mountain and then go back down. And, uh, um, that one, that day mm-hmm. was rough. I mean, that was rough. I, I, I think, you know, you said I just did it. It was actually two months ago now, two months ago, like, yeah. no, over two months ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was mid September and, uh, it's, it, I kind of screwed up my body. I don't know, physiologically, like, like nothing got injured particularly, but I kind of lost my love for running for several weeks and what, what, uh, no kidding. had what a hard happened? time sleeping. And I don't know. I don't know. Something happened on that mountain, man. Like, you know, we've done some hard things before. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we did the Grand Canyon together, yeah, yeah. Uh, the rim, one rim to the other rim in a, in a day. And, and that was hard, but I was able to appreciate the beauty of the Grand sure. Canyon. 
during this. I mean, this is a beautiful part of the Canadian Rockies, and I didn't appreciate anything. <laughs> I was just like, I just, I just need to get this done. I just need to get this done. I mean, uh, and uh, it was really challenging. It was also, you know, I've got, I've got a ways to go in my fitness levels, you know, to to do that comfortably. It was, it was hard. It was very, very hard. Uh, but that's enough about that. I mean, it, it's just. You know, we choose these things every year yeah. to push ourselves. That's what I did. And uh, I think I'm kind of recovering now. So where I'm, I got back into the love of running and uh, exercising in general. And uh, so I'm back. I like to hear that. How's, how's work been? Work's been good, man. Yeah. You know, busy. Yeah. How about you? That's enough about busy, me. Busy, busy for sure. Uh, work. Um, so yeah, on my off days, I'm running uh, and cross training. Uh, I started cross training because I realized that if you don't, well, Raj, if you don't strengthen your joints, you're going to injure your joints. You can't just run. You got to, you know, all sorts of stuff. So I started cross training as well. And that's really helped my running. And I, it's kind of uh, unusual because it, these are these subtle things that we do uh, that drastically improve exertional health. And I, I didn't realize it. And and as a physician, I, I, I feel really grateful to have gone through this uh, uh, process, losing weight, becoming very fit. Because I can then sort of relay that to patients with a true understanding and a true appreciation without feeling like I'm just, you know, bullshitting through it. So it's nice to have that experience. Work has been busy. Um, gosh, it's, you know, it, it's the trifecta season, right? COVID, flu, RSV. But what, what's really, it's really bringing like our little communities down is the RSV, man. These RSV babies coming in left and right. And then um, beds, beds are tight everywhere. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's always a challenge, which means we're, we're, we're hanging on to these patients, especially when I work these little critical access hospitals, this state, other states, uh, it becomes really challenging, but, um, so worth it though. You know, uh, I reframe <laughs> things a lot lately. We're going to be talking about reframing life, uh, today, today, we're going to be talking about looking at both sides of the equation and asking ourselves what it means to complain about something without really asking what does the complaining serve in my life? Um, so as I look at all this, you know, an old version of me might have been really crotchety and upset about the circumstance, but I reframe it as this opportunity to help communities, which is sorely needed. And, you know, it kind of switches me from what is my profession, my job to what is my vocation? What is my value in the world? So that's, mm -hmm. that's where I'm at, man. So I'm glad to be with you tonight to talk about the first part, which is, uh, Bishop Barron's wise and discerning heart. Can you tell, walk us through that a little bit? Yeah. So I, uh, this was kind of my idea to talk about this because it really, I felt I like it, it was a way. really big deal, but uh, there's this uh, Catholic Bishop um, named Bishop, uh, Bishop Barron. And he, a lot of people have probably heard of him. He's on the YouTube. He goes on all these podcasts, you know, he's, he's not what you would typically think of uh a very conservative priest who's really just trying to talk about, you know, trying to convert you or anything like mm -hmm. that, but just a man who uses, you know, his knowledge uh, as a Catholic to kind of help us navigate different, different things. And he launches us uh, basically a homily, uh, which is talking about the three readings of the week every Saturday. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't listen every week, but it pops up in my YouTube al algorithm. And one, I listened to was called a wise and discerning heart. And it was one of the greatest, I think 20 something minutes. I was like, this is going instantly on my hall of fame. You know, we have these hall of fame things mm -hmm. that actually I want to oh, talk yeah. about that. We need to like, that I constantly need to revisit 
you know, I think we talk about things like awareness and self and trying to gain perspective and trying to improve ourselves a lot. And I think probably a lot of listeners think that we're really good at it. If you ask my wife, she would probably disagree with all those <laughs> Isn't that the truth, man? Uh, but, you know, if some of these Hall of Fame things, if, if I don't re-listen to them, it's not like I can listen to them once and be like, okay, I got that. Yeah. Like, I have to remind myself. And so this is instantly on there. And basically, he's talking about um, one of the Old Testament readings, and he just kind of uses it uh, when King Solomon um, is a young king, mm -hmm. uh, and he asked for God for a discerning heart. Um, and that's what he's praying and asking because he, you know, he has kind of an imposter syndrome. He's a young king. Imagine that all the things that this is a real person and all the things that you could do as the king of a nation uh, is given to you. And he asked for a wise and discerning heart uh, so that he can recognize right from wrong. Um, and so this kind of launches Bishop Barron into what uh, reminding us to actively think about what we value in life and material goods and how if we seek material goods, which is kind of the innate, obvious thing that we all kind of get both programmed to and just kind of mm -hmm. naturally do without thinking uh, and how eventually those things will destroy you, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and rather, you know, ask for or strive for, and you don't have to pray to God to ask for it, but you can, you know, look for it in our own lives. And that's what a lot of our, we've been doing over years is trying to develop a wise and discerning heart. Um, and it's really, I, I just thought it was phenomenal. I don't know if I explained that well. It, you did. You as, did. As, you, it, this came to my life, uh, you know, on your recommendation, uh, at a very unique time when I had been contemplating two things. One is beyond self-awareness and self-actualization, which you, you know, rightly said that we're both kind of on this journey on, um, I've been spending a lot of time on metacognition, this thing we also talk about, which is thinking how we think. And Bishop Barron is forcing us to say, how are you thinking about how you think? And um, I was also on this sort of uh, track where I wanted to dissect out or remove from my life tangibles. But not not just like say I'm gonna sell I'm gonna sell my house sell my car but dissect out their control over me the control I I of free will gave to the to them so I'm not blaming the car industry or you know right. people who make nice watches and suits and no 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 those things were out there and I chose them of my own free will and for those of you who are not determinists and believe in free will that is um, so. I am now, therefore, an agent in my own life to remove those. And it came to me at a, at a very interesting time when I just listened to a, a podcast from Tim Ferriss. And Tim Ferriss said, one of the greatest luxuries I have in my life is my ability not to care what other people have and not to have to compete with them. And I thought about that. I was, Of course, I was running at the time when I listened to it. And I was thinking about it, thinking about it over a few miles. I'm thinking, oh, I get it. A lot of where I decide that I want things are because other people have them. 
and have an mm-hmm. opinion on them. And their opinion is, this is great. Everyone needs this. Or I have this. Not many people can have this. And this certifies my success in life. It certifies my agency as a certain type of person in life. It, but these are fictions, right? These are not realities. These are fictions that we create, right? If you break it down to what you know, humans are, homo sapiens are, we're creatures on a planet that need to be fed and have shelter and then move forward and procreate and live a life, right? At the end of the day, that's that's what we are. But now we create this fiction that, well, if you drive this kind of car and you have this kind of watch, then you're a better human. Than it, it, and that's the thing I wanted to divide myself. And, and, and you know me, I'm not that, like, I'm not fundamentally a narcissist or something like that. But to any degree, I think all of us can look privately and say, there's a little bit of that in all of us, a little bit of that competition, a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I'm glad you brought me on to this. Um, what, and so when you, when King Solomon is this person who's so young and presumably someone who wouldn't have that fundamental belief, I'm with you at 21 years old, I absolutely would have chosen all the wealth, all of the, all of that stuff. And I would have said, once I have this Cullen, I will be happy. So I will already have decided that I'm unhappy because I don't have it. But I promise you, once I have this car, these clothes, these friends, this house, this career, I will then be happy. Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to fast forward through my life from 21 to now. None of that made me happy. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a certain amount of security is good. Like, I'm not saying that, and Bishop Barron is stating this too. He's actually stating that goods are not necessarily evil. It's your thought process around them, right? Can you explain so that? That's that's key right here. It's it's like if you have a wise and discerning heart and you recognize that, listen, like this car, this big TV is not going to is not going to really make me happy. If you can recognize that, like you're not going to become a slave to those things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll probably limit yourself. So it's not that, that the actual big TV, it because your neighbor has a your neighbor has a 65 inch TV, so you want a mm-hmm. 72 inch. I don't yeah, know how right, those things right. go. You know, TV like that's not necessarily. It's it's not the TV that is evil. It's not even desiring to want to watch TV. It's that letting just the the innate not even realizing that that's what you're doing process is what will turn on you and eventually you will never be happy you will never recognize what makes you happy you will never recognize what is good about watching TV what is not good it is not like you know having a house having a shelter having a little bit of security i think does probably add to happiness i don't think that bishop baron is saying like we need to get rid of all of our Mm -hmm. wealthy goods Mm -hmm. but having that wise and discerning heart to realize what is good about it and what is not Mm -hmm. and how are these things affecting my life that is more it's it's again we talk about this time and again and Mm -hmm. something that i lose track of it's just becoming aware of our thoughts regarding items people priorities value you know, it's like that uh, you brought, you bring this up. It's that it's a, it's another form of this is water by what was that guy? Foster, David, David Foster Wallace. Yeah. That's a David good, Foster good reference. Wallace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's another, we talked about awareness by Anthony Mello. Yeah. yeah or or DeMello. Um, DeMello. DeMello. 
Um, and that's a phenomenal, that's in the hall of fame and all yeah. these things. But I, I, all the time, you know, I, I would say for the last several weeks, I kind of had lost, you know, I was back on the train of like, okay, I'm worried about this at work or this, you know, like, mm-hmm. is my truck, is there something wrong with my truck or, mm-hmm, it, you mm-hmm. know, and these things and, and they cause these stressors. And it's like, I had lost some of that awareness, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. of what is really important. And what are the priorities of life? You know? Yeah. I, um, I'm glad you brought that up. I, on the, on the heels of starting to think about this, I found myself in a position where I was like, kind of looking at all the things, objects in my life, uh, and saying, and asking the question, as I looked at it, how does this thing control me? I'm mm-hmm. looking at a TV. I'm looking at a car. I'm looking at a blender. Uh, I'm looking at what, how does this thing control me? How has it controlled me? Some of those answers are pretty hard to say in my head because I'm not proud of it. And um, and in doing so, I found a lot of presence with the things that matter, like the people in my life, you know, and to because you're right. Uh, I think we talked about this on a, a previous episode. I remember one day I was like, oh, there's like a clicking when I turned my car. I'm like, oh, now I'm going to have to get that checked out. And and then, oh, man, this, you know, the, the this thing was this thing didn't like. The, the the TV signal didn't start right up right away. Is that mean the TV's going out? Is oh man, how much was that? Now I gotta get another man. It's like, <laughs> but if like I would have severe abdominal pain to like 10 out of 10, and someone's telling me you need major surgery, that is something to stress about. I, I would, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in relative comparison, or if someone told me, Hey, we did that scan and are you I need you to sit down. We found something that's kind of concerning that is something and i have you have those conversations i have those conversations almost mm-hmm. shift to shift mm-hmm. and i started looking at those conversations albeit they're never comfortable and i never look forward to them firstly for the patient and secondary secondly for me but they these conversations have more meaning to me and more gravity because i'm like now this is something to worry about um i i wrote this out at the end of this sort of process of looking at these things that control me. And I, when I felt most free from everything, I said, the greatest power for me is the freedom from wanting more and the freedom to enjoy and love what I already have and freedom to allow loss of tangibles that never really brought me anything significant in the first place. And that was, that was how I left it. And that's kind of where I've been. Um, So as I look at every purchase transaction in my life from this moment on when you brought this bishop baron wise and discerning heart i asked how does this and it could be you know sometimes you have these you know fantasy friendships and you know false sort of relationships with people that where you allow control to go back and forth the wrong way how does this serve me how does this serve the object of the person and how can i be wise and discerning and what would I be most proud of in the decision I make moving forward? A lot of times with things is I I just don't need it. I don't need to buy it. I don't need to have it. Um, And and then I have to ask myself in the aftermath, where did that come from? Where did that need for this item that I was about to buy? Where did it come from? What, 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 What was missing inside of me or where did this generate from? And that's, that's been a really cool lesson for me, a really cool, um, process. So I really appreciate yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
I'm sure that some of our listeners are probably like, these guys talk about the same thing every time. It might seem like that, mm-hmm. but it's also because, I mean, it's not like we were recording these every day right. and you and I are on this process, this journey, and right. it helps when we do these things. Um, and so you, you nailed it with a repetitive hall of fame, you know, books, podcasts, episodes I have listened to, and I know you have certain podcast episodes over and over again, read certain books three or four times. You're not kidding around. Sometimes it takes three or four times to really understand it. And sometimes DeMello's awareness is a different book on the third time than it was on the fourth time. And as I pro- move forward with, with you on this, everything has a different sort of listen to it. You know, Michael Singer's mm-hmm. uh, Untethered Soul is a different book every time. It's a different podcast every time. And it's, man, um, you are not kidding around. I, I know, you know, we're not the only ones to do this. Um, uh, uh, Naval Ravikant, he does this. He's got 10 pages in certain books that he reads over and over again that he's read 300 times. He's got a book, you know, certain books that he only reads one chapter out of 20 times. He has a whole library of things and he keeps it he actually keeps it in his phone, in a notes, all of his favorite things to read or listen to. And he says it just like you nailed it. He, he goes back and this is a guy's a, you know, a multi-billionaire, an angel investor, and he does stuff like this. And um, it, it brings him clearly some kind of peace and harmony. Uh, and uh, I think that's some of the, the coolest things is the more you read it, the more you realize these people who wrote this or said these things in a podcast are your teachers. They are the voices for you that are continuing to teach you and to guide you and their mm-hmm. words are that are replacing them sitting in front of you um on a transition which fits with this it, as we were going through the challenges you i i was doing a lot of half marathon training running you were doing the, the golden ultra we uh i brought up in the last episode, I said, Hey, we ought to do this thing that Tim Ferriss talks about, but multiple people talk about it, uh, which is the 21 day, no complaint project. Oh, yeah. and, and, and I know initially we were both like, well, what are the rules? Cause I don't know if I can make it, it like an hour. Without yeah, but, yeah. So we'll post a link to the actual rules, but the, I think the way you and I did it, we kept it very simple, right? I mean, we said it's going to be 21 days. You and I are going to text at the beginning and the end of every day, which I think uh, faithfully we did 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, life happens. And um, I took notes as I'm, I have them pulled up here. And I'm not going to go through all the notes, but as we talk about this, I thought there's some really fascinating things you said and you had experienced. Um, let me take you back to day one of the 21 Note Complaint Project, which is essentially we're going to say we're not going to complain about anything. Uh and we're going to, we're going to give ourselves uh, a mulligan if we do complain and just kind of restart, reset, not the days, but just reset for the day. Um, what did you experience that first day, that first couple hours? And I think you might've said you were at work and I think I was at work as well. Uh, I mean, I don't remember what I noticed first. Uh, and I'm glad you have those notes because I don't, but I, I noticed right away how much I wanted to complain. Like how, how difficult this was. Yeah. And also I noticed everybody else is complaining a lot. Um, And, and I would also have to distinguish, okay, what's complaining, what's not, what's Mm -hmm. just pointing out something that needs to be fixed. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, um, So I don't know. What did I say? So you you said, 
I'm on shift. I'm already using it. The and then throughout the day, first day is almost done. Here's some observations. It's harder than it seems. Once I got the hang of it, it became easier. Um, I actually feel better not complaining and forcing myself to verbalize the other person's position and feelings. Yeah. I'm worried I might get lax over the next 20 days. Yeah. Well, it took, it took a lot. I mean, I think each day it took a lot to do. It was hard. It's kind of like uh, meditating. I've tried to get into meditating so many times and like, <laughs> I, I even like have gotten into it for several weeks and I realized that it's got all these benefits, mm -hmm. but you know, I was worried that this was going to be the same thing. It's like, I don't know if I can do this for 21 days because I have to, like, like we talk about awareness. It has to be such in the forefront of my mind that it's, it's, it's tough. It's mentally challenging. Did you ever want uh, to just say, I, I, I'm not doing, I'm done. Do you ever have a moment like that? Like, a, no, you know, I think because we were texting so much that, yeah. that, you know, uh, one thing about me is usually if I say I'm going to do something oh, you're for a certain yeah. amount of time, yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I try, I try not to let my, my brain go there to, mm -hmm. we're just not going to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, there are times where I don't like this, this November thing this time I was like, no, I want to learn how to swim. So I'm not mm -hmm. going to be doing it. You know, I got too much other stuff, but, uh, but that, um, yeah, I was like, I'm going to do this. I think we both were sure. I, I don't even remember us. I mean, I, like I said, I was worried that I couldn't do it Yeah, or I couldn't do it well, but I was going to try. I think that the thing I noticed, uh, probably in the middle of 21 days, both of us experienced this was, I don't think we ever had this in, um, instinct or design to quit, but we, we did have lapses and, but we quickly recognize, and I, I think the lapses were important because it was important to be human. Mm -hmm. It was important to, so for instance, on, on day two, I, I like what you said. It's definitely harder towards the end of the day. Uh, I, I said, it's hard not to complain about a badly acted or written movie or TV stream. Like, I'm like, <laughs> like if this show sucks, how do I yeah. not like, I mean, so the, it brings up your point is like, sometimes we have to deliver a criticism. And I had this on, on shift. Okay. So like this movie sucks. Do I just not complain about it? Or can I say factually, I, you know, I don't like this movie. So, but what I, 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 I did and what you did was I, I forced myself to see the other side of it. So for instance, if I was about to complain about something at work, I'd say, but I, I get why this person did it this way. I can understand that side though. I disagree with it. And that mm. was my way of saying, Soften your vernacular, soften your verbiage, and recognize that what comes with the criticism, which is reasonable to have a criticism, is one, the habit of criticizing, which, because you don't always have to criticize. I don't always have to criticize. Two, am I just complaining and criticizing to be relevant? Like, I found that when I was at home by myself, like she was at work, the kids were at school, and I, had, I was, it was silent all day because there was nobody to talk to. I would have things that if someone was there, I'd complain about, but I wasn't complaining. So I asked you the question, yeah. am I complaining when someone's around just to be relevant? Is that, is that, some, and maybe that's some of the value of complaining. Like you want to, and you brought up a great point. It's part of our, um, how we our tribalism. It's kind of how we, as a tribe. That's camaraderie. Camaraderie, right? You, you start your shift and sometimes the new shift, the 7am shift comes on and there's some complaining going on from the night shift to the day shift. <laughs> and that's kind of like the gelling. Like that's our like way of like, you know, like maybe athletes and are like on the field before a football game, stretching out, throwing the football, you know, doing some short runs. That's our 
warming up. But I, I can I can take that opportunity as I did. I think you did also uh, and say, all right, for all this complaining that should be like the teacher's lounge syndrome, I'm just going to be like, no, I, I get where you're coming from. I've I've felt that way before, too. And it was very frustrating without saying, yeah, I hate that. It's just uh, it didn't serve me. And I'm, I'm moving along on this. Um, but you brought up a point which I was also very aware of people complaining. It was almost like cacophony. Mm. It was like noise. It was like, wow, it's like it's like all this noise of people complaining because i'm so aware of it now right isn't it crazy how that 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 happened um you brought up a great point and tell me about this and this is i I wrote this and i bolded it i can also see how the personal brand can be eroded over time by complaining it is not an attractive quality tell me about why you said that well i definitely when you start noticing complaining whether it's your i mean what this teaches you to do this Mm -hmm. challenge is to notice all complaining your desire to complain your own complaining and then Mm -hmm. immediately everybody else's and you see the people that just complain so much um and honestly there's probably at times where i'm that person um and it there's no doubt about it but like the way their reputation is is uh takes a hit from that um, because people don't want to be around that. Um, people want to be around it to a certain degree. Like I said, to build camaraderie, mm-hmm. the person that is always complaining yeah. makes you feel worse. Like if you're, if you have to work around that person, you leave that shift feeling less energetic than you would around the positive person. Right. You know, both right. people, like you said, can recognize need for improvement. Um, in whatever they're doing right and to try to be better but their personal brand is going to take a hit and i'm sure at times you know my personal brand took a hit you know um i'm sure there's i i i know i've had superiors you know it's been it's it's been a while but i remember once um we were residents and our director came and said you know what's going on with you you Mm -hmm. know it Mm -hmm. seems like nurses notice that you've been very negative lately and uh and i was like oh i had been you know, yeah, and yeah. it affected my, my brand, if you if you want to call it that. Sure. You know, the thing about medicine, in particular, emergency medicine, is that I totally hear what you're saying. And I, I have absolutely been that person. And you are not alone. Um, I justified a lot of my criticism, my negativity as, well, I'm just looking out for the patient. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to say that and move along and just validate what you're doing, which is still not where you want to be with your brand. I love that that term, your brand. Who is Cullen? Who is Raj? What is your brand? What does it signify? Um, and man, that's that's like that's like legacy discussion. That's more than legacy because legacy is like after you die, brand is right now. Who is this guy? What's his brand? And um, you know, uh, I think that's so true. And so, can I? Can I? live in this emergency medicine world where everything seems like it's against me, but ultimately against the patient. But can I still be positive? Because I know that if I'm positive and not complaining, I can tractor a whole group of people that look up to me because I'm the leader in that moment. And they can have a better shift and they can therefore, if they're having a better shift, do better for the patient. I mean, it really does come down to that. 
positive people are going to do better for a patient than negative people. You've seen it, right? You've seen codes Absolutely. where people are negative. You've seen codes where people are positive and you have seen the outcomes were better. Even if the outcome was the patient didn't make it, there was better dialogue with a family member. There was a better feelings when people are driving home. They weren't in tears as much. They were feeling better the next day. They felt like they were part of a family. There is quality of life improvement that is not always tangible immediately, but it makes a difference. And yeah, I, you know, and, and it's great that you had that mirror, that person to call you out. And you've been that mirror for me in the past. I think I've been that mirror for you at times. And it's, it's important. Um, I, I brought up this quote with you not too long ago with this author said, uh, but unfortunately I can only look in the mirror, but a few times a day, but the rest of the world and the people I count on are my mirror constantly. Like you need people to mirror who you are and what you're doing, and then be brave enough to say to you, and then you must be strong enough to accept and trust them. Hey, Colin, something doesn't seem right. And A, are you willing to hear that? B, do you have the humility to stop and pause and process? And then three, C, are you able to change things based on that discussion, if you agree with it? And so I have recognized in this process, listening to Bishop, Bishop Barron, and then doing the 21-day no complaint, if someone says, I'm seeing something that doesn't seem right, my first instinct shouldn't be, the heck's wrong with this person? I feel fine. My first inst instinct is now, okay, um, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's pause. And this helped me do that because it's practice, just like anything else. Uh, on, a, on day eight or day seven, I said to you, Am I able to look at something or a situation that I'm about to complain about? And instead of complain about it first, admire it. Can you imagine? Yeah, I remember you saying that. Can you imagine you're, you're, someone's just really just irritating this, the whole team or something, something you're out and about in the community at a store and like, you know, there's water everywhere. The guy who's cleaning the floor didn't mop up. Can you find a way to admire the situation? I'm like, well, okay, you're not going to admire that there's water on the floor, but can you admire this guy for he's out here, he's working, you know, he's doing the best that he can. It's like, this is water. Is that guy who just cut you off? Is he really trying to cut you off to piss you off? Or is he trying to get his kid who's having an asthma attack to the emergency room? You know, uh, you see both sides of it. So I'm glad you brought up David Foster Wallace. Can you see both sides of it? Can, if you can see both sides of it, you can then slow down a little bit with your own complaining and say, I could be on the other side of this one day and someone's going to complain about this, you know, yeah. and uh, we've, we've been both people, right? We've been the person that yeah. cut people off and we've been the person that's been cut off. And um, so, uh, you know, as we got into this, um, we should, we should, uh, we should put a link to that. Also that, that David Foster Wallace, so this yes. is, yes, he is an author who has since passed. Um, but he gave a commencement speech um, to, I don't remember what university it was, the graduating class. And the joke that he starts off with is, uh, I'm going to screw this up. Two fit, uh, it's in the ocean, right? And these yeah. two young fish swim mm -hmm. by this older fish. And he goes, hey, boys, how's the water? And they just, they keep swimming and after a little while, one of the young fish looks at his buddy and he goes, what the hell is water? <laughs> and, and it doesn't, it doesn't make sense initially, but like the, the concept is that you don't even know that this, this little fish 
doesn't even know he's in water. He knows his existence in the way that he knows his existence in his mind. He doesn't take a moment to understand that there is water around you. There are other fish in the sea. There's this whole world around you that's that's flourishing. All I know is myself and my first person frame of view, right? I'm in this movie that's about Raj and every 360 around me is just, it's me. I am the center of my universe. And David Foster Wallace says, of course, we feel like we're the center of the universe. We look out through our eyeballs and we see everything around us, right? right. We are in the center and our visual field surrounds us. Of course, we feel all the time that we're the center of the universe. So it's really hard for us to slow down, some of us at least, and say, you're not the center of the universe. This guy, his eyes look around too and sees the center of the universe. This guy, he's he's everyone's in the same boat. So this fish is like, what's water? This is water? I just know my world. Um, and um yeah, that was a great one. That was great. That was great. I uh, a couple of days later, I asked this question: Is can we keep it in context? So, if there is a if there is a, do you ever notice this when you complain complaints beget complaints, and you you veer off the beaten trail? Like you might be complaining initially about some administrative thing or some you know price hike of some product you're about to buy, and then with whoever you're co-complaining about five minutes later, you guys are complaining about something totally different. Yeah. You're like on politics now yeah, and, yeah. You know, you're, you're, and you're complaining about everybody. Yeah. It, 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 it starts a whole conversation. Exactly. Does that just yeah. exhaust something in your, like a steam valve? Like you just want to exhaust some like anger or something like, where does that come yeah. from? That's what I noticed. I just noticed it was like an exhaust valve. And so I said, let's keep it in context. Um, I felt myself rolling into the next thing. And I'd say, no, we're done here. And that's kind of like where mm. I, I stopped the gaslighting and the, you know, the straw man arguments where, uh, you know, like this concept of gaslighting is such a modern term, right? It's about, um, you know, I might be, I might say to you, Colin, you know, you, uh, you really, you really kind of botched that uh, patient case up. You know, I, I felt like, you know, that you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't, you should have really called this guy as a consultant. And what you'll say is rather, and, and you might, this might be the truth, but what you'll say is you'll gaslight me and you'll say, well, Raj, you know, what you screw up all the time is you screw up uh, shoulder reductions. You can never get those in. <laughs> so you're not wrong. I do suck at shoulder reductions and I'm not wrong. But what you're doing is you're, you're creating this like problem over here to like divert my attention to something else. That's, that is like throwing a dagger at me. And that's what I see us doing is like sort of a tribal community where we, when we complain, especially if someone's complaining about us, we'll reciprocate instead of with humility and saying, okay, let me understand what you think I did wrong. And where could, how could I, how could I see both sides of this? How can I do this better? Um, it's let's throw a dagger, you know, let's do, let's throw a little, little, you know, snap bomb over here. So there's a smoke screen and I can run over here. Cause I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the humility of maybe being wrong. The, the prospect of having to explain myself, having to say, I own that. I own that error. I own that moment of lack of clarity. You know what I mean? It's, I know, I noticed some of that, Uh, but it ended really well. I thought that, do you feel like, I know that I'm not the same person I was in that 21 days, right? I'm complaining about stuff. Uh, Do you feel different? Did you have any takeaways? You know, uh, it's been a while, right? Yeah. It's been Um, a couple of months. And uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I probably have slipped right back into (laughs) However, I was pre that. I don't really know. I don't have a gauge because I have not been um, paying attention. Um, mm-hmm. And so, 
uh, I should, I should, I, I'm assuming my challenge maybe for the week or something. I'm going to figure something out, but I, I got to, we can, that again. we can def- definitely re up this like twice a year and we don't have to make it 21 days. I think we can do like a more succinct five days, you know, we do a five days starting uh, tomorrow. I, I love it. I love that you're, you're able to do that and you hold me to the fire. Tomorrow, what, five this is all your idea. I don't know. I, <laughs> you got to take the credit here. I, 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 you're my mirror. So, okay, tomorrow uh, I'll text you in the morning, day one right. of five day no complaint project. So right, sounds I, good. That's good, man. I'm glad. I'm glad to talk with you like this. And I know it's been a while for the listeners, but uh, you know we're back on track. Uh, how do you want to? How do you want to end it, man? This has been a great, uh, great, great conversation. I feel like we should have had a case. I didn't think of a case regarding this. Well, here's the here's the case I was going to bring up uh, regarding um, no complaint. In in the midst of this 21 days, probably day 14, I think I wrote about it. Uh, I'm at this. I'm at an out of state critical access hospital. I just got in. It was one of these like fly in, get the rental, book it to the ER a couple hours before my shift starts, and it's melee. You know they there's no beds in the local, uh, bigger hospitals and whatever. So this poor guy, I got signed out. He's a GI bleed. He's in his eighties. He's a GI bleed. So he's bleeding somewhere from his stomach to his colon. And we don't have a GI doctor there. Uh, other than the routine things that the ER doc who signed out to me, he did a great job, gave him blood, great, gave him some TXA, gave him some protonics, all this stuff to stop the acid and said, Hey man, this guy started at, the, at a hemoglobin of five, his blood pressure is low, but I got him up to like seven, his blood pressure is better. Man, they gave us, they said that they'd take him at the bigger university hospital, but we don't have a bed for at least a day and a half. And so you're going to have to watch him. I'm like, all right, okay. No complaint project. I, you know, I'm like, no, he did a nice job, man. Thanks for taking care of him for, you know, it's been 18 hours. We do 24s over there. Nice job. All right, let's do it. So the wife comes out probably 20 minutes after I started and she is just tearing everybody up. And I know, you know, like initially it, that would, that's kind of abrasive. Like, you know, you're just starting your shift and this, someone comes out, starts accusing everybody of like, we're just like um, intentionally preventing him from getting to the bigger hospital. Like we're like maliciously and nefariously trying to prevent him from getting the care he needs and nothing can be further from the truth. And this is obvious to all of us. Mm-hmm. So I asked myself, okay, what can, what can I, admire about this situation and what what can I first look at? And I can, I can admire that she cares about her husband and she's really scared and she's trying mm-hmm. to serve as an advocate for him. And part of how we serve as an advocate sometimes, whether it's right or wrong, is to challenge the quality of what we're receiving. And so I said, rather than just, you know, full defense position, I actually watched a nurse really expertly talk her off the ledge and you know, she was basically just, you know, lashing out at the nurse saying, you're not doing this. And, and the nurse is like, man, we're, we are actually doing the best that we can. Uh, I'm coming on shift with this doctor and the last team. And she just itemized everything that got done and how his blood pressure proved in between this uh, poor wife yelling at her. Um, and I just, rather than get engaged, I just watched and observed and learned. And I saw this nurse just calmly, totally, un- she said, I totally understand. I would feel the same way. And I just want to remind you that, no, we did, we actually have done everything that the bigger hospital would have done other than having a GI doc put a camera in. So really, if you think about it, they wouldn't, they would be doing the same things. And she just artfully said all the right things. And I admired her position and I admired the wife for her agency and advocacy for this gentleman. And I admired her fear. I mean, when fear reflects her love and she, she cares about this person, obviously. 
And um, I just went up to my colleague and I said, I thought, because she retreated back to the room and she came out and she apologized and she said, I want to thank you for everything you've done to her, to the nurse. And I I wanted that nurse to own everything because she took it for the team. And I was like, you just did a really great job. I learned a lot by just watching you. You did not lose your dignity. You didn't take any challenge of hers where she diminished or disparaged the quality of the service. You explained how it was high quality and everything that's been done and that's gotten better. But you also like had empathy for her. And I, I'm like, I, I'm in your, I'm in your dojo. I'm learning. This is awesome. And that's, that's how I want to leave it. I, I think that sometimes yeah. we cannot say anything and observe the experts in our lives who are all around us. If you look, they're all around us and just watch how they navigate these challenging situations with dignity and honor and um, true empathy. That's, that's how I want to end it. That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Let's end it like that. All right, buddy. Well, I listen, I appreciate it. I, um, I'll, uh, I'll put links to everything that we talked about and, uh, we will, uh, we will come back and talk about our five day. No, no complaint. Project. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, I'll talk brother. to you soon, man. All right. See you. Bye.